Welcome to the Energy Council Podcast Investor Series. Hey guys, welcome to the Energy Council's Investor Series Podcast. I'm your host, Ben West, and today I am joined by Dan Pickering, founder and chief investment officer at Pickering Energy Partners. Pickering Energy Partners span off from TPH back in 2019 and sits on the bullish side of the fence as an investor that remains committed to pursuing oil and gas opportunities. During this episode, Dan talks about how he expects there to be a lot of transaction activity in the market as the current down cycle sorts itself out. And he walks us through Pickering Energy Partners' investment approach, explaining where he sees potential for future upside and what types of opportunities he'll be looking to target. Dan also explains why 2020, although being a difficult time to be an energy investor, is a great time to be building a business. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, Dan. Thanks very much for doing this today. It's great to have you on. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. No, thank you. It's a pleasure. So, Dan, I'd just like to start things off with a bit of a personal note, a bit of background to set the scene to our listeners. So it'd be good to just get a bit of an overview from you of where it all began. Where did you grow up? What did you study? Where did you study? And where did your interest in the energy industry originate? Sure. So I was born and raised in a small town in Missouri. So I'm a Midwest guy. Went to a small engineering school in uh, Missouri, University of Missouri, RALA, now called Missouri School of Science and Technology. I have a BS in petroleum engineering. I kind of was interested in the oil patch because as I was growing up, we were kind of going through the 70s oil boom. I remember seeing how things were so exciting in Texas and people were making all this money. It seemed like a very interesting industry. And the fact that I could study it at a university quite close to my home was attractive. And so that's how I sort of got interested. I spent my first couple of summers working out in the oil patch, which was hard work, but interesting. And and, uh, we were coming out of a bust at that point in time. And so it's just been a fun business to be associated with hard business at times like it is right now, but, but it's always challenging. And so, you know, here I am today, 30 years later. Absolutely. And there's a long journey now uh, between where you started off and, and where we are today. But let's fast forward to today. Your Chief Investment Officer at Pickering Energy Partners. I'm sure you need no introduction, but for the few listening in that are perhaps less familiar with yourself and, and with the firm, could you just give us an overview of Pickering Energy Partners and your current energy exposure? What's your status? How is your portfolio weighted with regards to upstream and exposure versus midstream, downstream infrastructure, alternative energies, etc.? Sure. So then our firm is energy focused. We run about 700 million of client assets. We also do some consulting, but on the asset management business, significant majority of our assets are in the private equity space. We co-invest with other sponsors doing energy club deals across all the energy subsectors. So we have made investments historically in the oilfield service business, in the midstream business. We're invested in a waste to power company. We've had a lot of investments in the upstream. So we kind of invest across the sector there looking for private equity type returns. And then uh, we have a strategy that invests only in the Permian in cash flowing PDP developed producing reserves. So more of a yield vehicle focused on the Permian Basin. And we're in partnership with a private company out there, Henry Resources. And so two different primary strategies on the investing side of private equity. And so we're upstream heavy generally. Our public's exposure, we tend to run about, right now anyway, 70% ENP, 20% oilfield service, and we're about 10% in the midstream. 
and with a fairly high amount of cash given everything that's going on in the sector. So that gives you a little bit of an idea of where we've got dollars deployed today. Sure. You just mentioned that the focus for you is the Permian Basin cash flow and PVP assets. Why the Permian? What's why that mandate? Why the focus there? And, and, and what advantage do you see in that basin, that area over other basins across the lower 48? Sure. A couple of reasons that that particular strategy, again, we invest across everywhere in the, in the U.S. in our co-invest strategy. But for the PDP strategy, I think two specific things. One, we've had this long-standing relationship with the Henry Resources folks. They're very good operators, you know, 50 years in the basin. So we love the deep experience that they have. And the Permian's got very low costs and a lot of oil and a lot of operators and a lot of fragmentation. And so we viewed it as a good basin to invest in generally. We've got a great partner there. And you know our expectation has been, and it's borne out, that there's going to be a lot of transaction activity out there as this down cycle sorts itself out. So you know, the PDP strategy itself would be applicable sort of across the country, but we've got this partner in the Permian and we love the Permian. And so that's, that's our initial focus. We'll branch out from that over time, but the Permian is a great place to start. No, absolutely. It makes sense. And I'd love to come back to what your current strategy is, what your current focus is and, and how you're approaching these potential deals and transactions. But I realize I've skipped out a big chunk of the story up until now. And I mean, it's fair to say you've had a pretty remarkable journey to get to where you are today. To say the least, you started Pickering Energy Partners back in 2004. You then merged with Tudor Capital in 2007 to form TPH. Then last year in 2019, you, you spun out Pickering Energy Partners again. And, and just take us through that journey and, and the evolution of the firm. What was the goal when you started out back in 2004? How has that goal changed over time? And were there any landmark or, or defining moments between then and today, either for you personally or for the firm, that have resulted in major decisions or turning points that have led you to where you are today? A lot of things to unpack. When we started the business in 2004, the goal then and the goal now, and ironically, the firm was called Pickering Energy Partners then, and we're back to Pickering Energy Partners now, so quite a circular journey. But the goal then was to provide independent research in a market that was hungry for folks who didn't have business conflicts around investment banking and other things. But I think you start the business saying to yourself, we need to be very, very good at this, right? We got to be the best. We got to be deep and smart. And if you can be deep, smart, and help your client be smarter, then they're going to reward you for that. So the business objective was to provide research to institutional clients and to be you know, really, really good at that across the business. And I think we accomplished that. So it was also a time when shale was starting to emerge and there was a lot of interest. We had a number of petroleum engineers, myself and several others that could understand what was happening technically, and that helped us help make our clients smarter. So I think that was a very fortuitous, sometimes better to be lucky than good. If Hopefully, if you're both, it's a great opportunity. I think, you know, turning points along the way, obviously in 07, we merged with Bobby Tudor and Maynard Holt, formed TPH. And I think the decision at that point, what we'd come to believe is that if your clients believe in you and trust you, then they're less worried about conflict because they say these guys know what they're doing and are out to help us not enrich themselves at our expense. And so adding investment banking to the business in 2007 was certainly a turning point. And then for me personally, in 2010, 
you know, I stepped away from the cell side role, which I'd essentially been in for almost 20 years at TPH, Pickering Energy and Simmons and Company before. I stepped away from that, kind of came back to the buy side. I started my career at Fidelity Investments as a money manager, and I came over in 2010 to sort of launch that business that became TPH Asset Management. So that was a, you know, returning to my buy side roots was big for me. And, you know, I love the process of figuring out investments and making investments. And so leaving, but leaving something that I've been doing for 15 plus years was certainly an interesting turning point. So you asked other turning points, obviously, when we decided to spin off the business in 2019 to become Pickering Energy Partners again. And that was really a function of our corporate parent, Perella Weinberg, deciding to exit the business. And our view that, you know, there's so much opportunity sitting in the space today, we certainly didn't want to close the business. And so, you know, I've been entrepreneurial working in small businesses for a long time. So the thought of taking the business back uh, was very exciting. And here we sit today in 2020 as Pickering Energy Partners again. That's great. Thanks, Dan. And really interesting. Uh, It's great to hear your perspective from both sides of the buy side and the sell side. And I feel optimistic hearing that about the opportunity uh, that that you undoubtedly feel there is in in the market today. But I think obviously you span out into Pickering Energy Partners back in 19 at at an interesting time. Towards the back end of 2019, you, you could never have foreseen what was to come in 2020 the destruction across the energy industry that, that's been wrought by the coronavirus pandemic. No one could. In hindsight, was it a good time to spin off? Has it opened up new opportunities for you that you hadn't considered before? Or has it closed the door to opportunities that you were hoping to pursue? And how have you had to respond to some of the challenges that have been thrown your way? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the easy and unequivocal answer is it's been a terrible time to be an energy investor. You know, the oil price has cratered, values of private and public companies have fallen by a lot. And so, you know, not fabulous timing from the perspective of being an investor. In terms of building a business, actually, you know, a really good time for us. Why? Very fortuitous. When we spun off, our firm went out and tapped our our network of friends of the firm and relationships. And so we raised a fair bit of money to support the business. The 2020 environment's creating a lot of opportunities. I mentioned earlier, we just launched a consulting business. You know, that takes people, but in 2020, there are a lot of fabulous people that are available. And so there are opportunities to bring on talent. You know, assets in this business are people and their brains. And we're very focused on growing, and we can do that because we've got a good balance sheet. I mean, we're not any different than the energy companies that we look at and invest in from the perspective that you need a good balance sheet to survive the downturn. We're in one, we've got a good balance sheet, and we're building in this environment, and we're, we're doing it, we think, in, in front of a cyclical upturn that'll come sometime over the next two, three, four, five years. So it's been very opportunistic. The other thing that is exciting is we're also looking at how we participate in energy transition issues. And we think there's going to be a long transition that knowing both the hydrocarbon business and the future energy business, whether that's hydrogen or electrification, whatever it is, you know, we think you're going to have to have a foot in both those worlds. And it's a little bit easier to do that as Pickering Energy Partners, just because we don't have the legacy issues that we might have had a few years ago. So terrible time to be an investor, 
great time to be building a business in energy and energy transition. No, thanks, Dan. And, and you raised a couple of interesting points there, and there are some things I want to jump on the back of. But firstly, you, you mentioned about how there's a plethora of really great people available in the industry right now that you can bring into the business. Um, a lot of the conversations that we've had with investors from across our network, publicly and privately, is that the upstream sector at the moment, the EMP sector, of course, capital has fled from the industry. Is sort of capital raising, capital availability is at cyclical lows right now. And a lot of the investors are saying that in order to attract capital back to the sector, it's going to require change from within. And in many ways, the sector's stuck in its ways. It's, it's used to what it has been doing. It's comfortable with what it has been doing. And it's perhaps resistant to change and the threats that movements like the energy transition, which are very real and important issues, are posing to the industry. So in terms of bringing new people into the industry, do you take experienced executives who have gone through downturns, many downturns before, and are, are experienced at weathering the storm and getting out on the other side and, and, and playing the survival game? Or do you bring in new younger talent that can bring a fresh perspective and actually implement some of the changes that investors need to see within the business to encourage them to deploy their capital in the space again? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think when we look at the traditional oil and gas business, I think experience matters a lot. The, you know, having been through cycles gives people, you know, there's a lot of trail dust on folks and that helps them think about ways to manage a business, both technically and financially. And so when we think about investing in traditional oil and gas companies, we do like to see management teams that have been around the block. You know, no doubt we've invested with younger folks, but in a business that's been around for a long time, I think experience counts. When you look to the energy transition, there I think I think it's going to be harder for incumbents to disrupt that business or, or be part of the disruption. So if you look historically, it wasn't J.C. Penney's that disrupted retail; it was Amazon. It's Tesla disrupting the automotive business, not Ford. So you know we think that the traditional oil players being the leaders in energy transition, eh, probably not. BP's trying, Shell's trying, questionable whether or not they'll be successful. It's new, it's different, and it's probably younger. So when we think about our energy transition efforts, you know, my guess is that that will skew a little bit more toward folks in their 30s and 40s as opposed to folks in their 50s and 60s. No, it, make, it makes sense. And just focusing in on your energy transition efforts, where do you see the most potential for upside on that side of the industry and on those energy verticals? Is it in decarbonizing the upstream EMP space? Because let's be honest, there's no two ways about it. Demand for hydrocarbons isn't going away anytime soon. It's going to form an important part of our economies and economic growth and development for years to come. So it is the upside to be had in decarbonizing that sector, investing in technologies, uh, reducing methane emissions, reducing flaring, etc. And therefore, creating more value on the EMP sector, or should the investment be put towards scaling up renewable technologies, wind, solar, electric vehicles, battery storage, et cetera? Where's the biggest upside potential? Let's tackle it two different ways. I think your traditional energy business, you're right, it is going to be here for a long time. Most of these companies are oil and gas companies. They're going to stay oil and gas companies for the remainder of the time that they're in business. And so the key for them is they've got to do better. The issues around, you know, the ESG issues for energy, traditional energy folks are 
focused primarily on the E side. And you mentioned it, it's emissions, it's greenhouse gases, it's lowering carbon footprint. And those things are going to be a cost of doing business for the traditional oil and gas players. And they're going to have to show improvement. A number of them have committed to carbon neutrality or reductions in CO2 by 2030, 40, 50. So I think the business opportunity in the traditional oil and gas space is do better, be better than your peers. That will differentiate you. And ultimately, that will lower your cost relative to your peers. On the energy transition side, I think it's a little bit of the Wild West right now because we don't know exactly where everything's going. You can look to a future that has a lot of electric cars and you know, electrification of the grid and hydrogen, et cetera, but it is much less clear how you're going to get there. And so ironically for us, I think our view is there's a flood of capital coming into the, the renewable space, the energy transition space, and, you know, valuations don't look great to us. And so I think that business is going to expand dramatically. There's a ton of capital chasing it. I think that's going to drive down returns. So I'm not as excited about investing in the assets themselves as I am in investing in the value chain, the services and support companies that are involved in the business, being a capital provider. I'd rather be a debt lender than an equity lender or a project finance guy as opposed to a private equity guy. And then I think there will be a time period where that shakes out. It's a number of years from now. And then I think the assets will get attractive again. So it's a fabulous growth business. You're really going to have to pick your spot to make money as an investor. Okay, that makes sense. Let's focus in then on, on the upstream EMP sector. Again, making some of these changes we've spoken about, improving operational performance, environmental performance, governance, et cetera, et cetera. What will drive the return of capital to the space? Is it ESG driven? Is it environmental concerns, which is why investors are currently fleeing from the space? Is, is that a decisive movement or a decisive factor in the deployment of capital in that space? Or is it purely results driven and, and driven by return on investment, which as, as we all know, it's been well documented over the last five plus years, returns haven't met the expectations and demands set by investors and, and they haven't reached those levels that have been guaranteed and, and promised by management teams. So what is the driving force behind investment in that space? Is it a requirement of improving environmental practice in the EMP space, or is it a matter of just improving operational performance, driving down cost structures and improving the margins, et cetera? Ben, it's a good question. I mean, what's it going to take for people to care about the energy space and put money to work again? So the answer is that the industry is going to have to perform better financially. And to do that, it's investing less money giving more money back to shareholders, proving that it's a real business that can earn its cost of capital, which it hasn't done for decades. And so now, interestingly enough, I think all those things are starting to happen. So this last down leg in commodity price, which is, you know, resulted in a bunch of bankruptcies. I mean, it's, you talk about scared straight, you know, the industry is now scared straight because it's very clear that we don't need production growth. And investors aren't going to put up with companies spending all their capital. And so when your stock goes down 75% and nobody wants to talk to you and the commodity stinks and you're laying off people and your peers are going bankrupt and it looks like it could be this way for a couple of years, 
all of a sudden, you know, companies have to make changes and they're starting to do that. So returns have to be better. Return of capital has to be better. The cycle has to improve. Those three things have to happen for this sector to have a chance. And you can see it in process, but it's not there yet. So it's going to still take, I think, another 12 or 18 months. ESG is a piece, but frankly, the folks who don't like hydrocarbons and aren't going to invest in hydrocarbon companies, they're not going to come back, even as the sector does more on the ESG front. So I think when you look at the investor base that was in the sector in 2014, kind of the peak of oil price, the peak of, of activity, I think that probably right now, if there were 100 investors in 2014, there are 20 investors today. So we've lost 80% of the interest. And of that 80%, probably a third are never coming back because of philosophical reasons. And I think the other two thirds will come back when it starts making them money and they're going to wake up when stocks start working. And so it's a value business right now. The money comes back when the performance is better, but it will come back. No, yeah, absolutely. And it makes perfect sense. And I think we, we focus a lot on, on what the sector needs to do, what management needs to do, uh, and the changes that need to be implemented on the EMP side, the operational side. But those companies need, those management teams need to be incentivized by the investors that are funding them. Again, you could argue and probably should argue that the investment community, buy side investors have as much of a responsibility as these EMP companies themselves to drive that change. And there's no doubt that the traditional investment model is now changing. I think in the past, investors and their portfolio companies have tended to invest 100% of cash flow back into production growth with a view to cashing in on a, a big exit at the end of the investment life cycle and bagging a, a considerable return on investment, I think over 20%. It seems now that there's just too much uncertainty to adopt that type of approach. I was speaking with your your colleague Lex earlier this year, and he was telling me that, that you're looking to shift capital from growth-oriented assets to, to value-oriented assets. Can you just speak to that a little bit? I mean, how must the investment approach change? Are we looking at longer life cycles and is A&D off the table? Should investors now lower their expectations on the returns they expect to generate? Great question. And you're right. The investment community is just as much to blame because the reason we have too much oil is because U.S. investors and inter global investors got very excited about the opportunities for shale and poured a ton of money into it, gave a bunch of money to these companies and, and has supported the, their push for growth. And we oversupplied the world. So investors are just as culpable in this process as well. And they have changed and now the companies are changing. So what do you have to expect going forward? I think that there are really two ways to think about it. One is I actually think return expectations for private investments should be going up. Why? Because risk has gone up and the amount of capital available is falling and the number of deals is rising. And so you ought to be able to get a better deal as an investor in energy over the next few years because one, it's more uncertain and two, there's just fewer people playing. There's less competition to deploy capital. So we actually think our returns should be better for investments that we make over the next two or three years than they have been over the past two or three years. But you're going to get it a little bit differently. You have to invest assuming that it's not going to be a quick exit. You have to invest thinking that a company, unless you've got unlimited resources, which most investment pools don't, 
you have to assume that your company is going to need some startup capital or they're going to need their initial equity stake, and then they'd better generate cash. So as opposed to the quick in and out, grab acreage, drill a few wells, flip it to someone else, that business model is gone. You're going to have to be much more cash generative and you have to assume longer hold periods because the buyer universe just isn't there. The other component of investing in the industry is you can focus on on yields and cash flowing assets. And there, I think we haven't seen as big a, a degradation in value. So a property that was throwing off a 10% yield two years ago and today is probably valued about the same. It hasn't, you know, that yield is still worth a lot and values haven't compressed as much. So, you know, there's kind of the eight, nine, 10% cash flowing yield type of investment that's out there. And then there's the private equity risk capital. Um, you're getting generally the same returns on the yield investments. And I think you should expect higher returns on the more risk oriented investments. I guess then building on, on that, I mean, you've spoken earlier on about your PDP strategy in the Permian. Again, I've spoken with a number of investors over the past few months, and the overriding message is we are only interested in PDP assets and we want to buy into existing cash flow. We're not interested in taking on new development risk. There's the forecasts that there will be a considerable amount of capital required to keep production flat or at moderate growth rates to meet both US and global energy demand over the coming years. And there will be opportunity for those who are able to raise capital in the space as so much capital is leaving the space. So my question to you is, what will it take to create economic motivation to drill and develop assets? I mean, what timeline are we looking at before we see that appetite starts to come back? So the simplest answer to that is it's going to take higher commodity prices. There's a maintenance level of activity that's happening out there, but $40 just doesn't work for the industry. And you can produce your existing assets and make a margin, but you really can't afford to reinvest in them. Not, not significantly. That's why U.S. production's fallen from 13 million barrels a day, you know, down to the 10, 11 million barrel a day range and, and, and fallen. That's why global production's plateauing. So 40 doesn't work and you need higher commodity prices and you're going to have to have them for a little while to sort of pull people back into the markets. That's the, what does it take to get people spending again? But I would say the other thing is in today's environment where service costs have come down so much and, you know, a well that cost $8 million two years ago now costs five or six, you do see pretty attractive well-level economics with oil in the 40s and well costs in the five or $6 million range for a 10,000-foot lateral in the Permian Basin. The caveat is you can't have very high acreage costs. I mean, the reality is the, the money that's been sunk in acreage, it's sunk. It's not going to generate a very good return. If you paid $30,000 for an acre somewhere and you're selling oil at 40, the math's not very good on them. If you're paying $500 an acre or 1000 an acre and drilling a $5 million well and selling oil at 40 or 45, the economics actually are okay. And so there'll be a slight offset for some drilling that makes sense given lower entry and, and lower well costs. But I mean, bottom line, we need better commodity prices. And when are we going to get there? My opinion, we don't see a five handle on oil, you know, the remainder of this year or next year. It's late. So maybe late 21. We got to eat through 
oil OPEX got off the market. We got to eat through the excess inventories that are built around the world. And, and that's going to take some time. And demand's got to recover. You know, COVID's got to go away, or at least mostly go away. People have to get closer to normal. So I'm expecting global oil markets to find equilibrium somewhere in the 95-ish million barrels a day range. And when we find that equilibrium late next year, 22 sometime, oil ought to be in the 50s. I think the other thing here, Ben, is we're, we are facing somewhere out there two, three, four years, I don't know when, you know, the pendulum will have overshot and oil won't go from 40 to 50 and then back to 40 again. Oil is going to go from 40 to 50 to 70 because the ability to turn the taps on just won't be there like it's been for the past decade. So, you know, there's some better days ahead. This is normal cyclical stuff. It's been a long down cycle. There'll be a recovery, but it's going to take a year or two. Absolutely. And I think that leads quite nicely into my next question. We focus so far a lot on the investors that have left the space and what it's going to take to draw capital back to the industry. But there are still a handful of investors out there at the moment, and there are opportunities which people are eyeing up at the moment, be that to help fund acquisitions to make high quality additions to some of the larger independence portfolios, or be it for some of the companies that are more distressed, but perhaps with turnaround capital are able to create significant upside further down the line when we see this recovery that you're talking about now. So who are the bullish investors out there at the moment and where can oil and gas companies find the small pockets of capital that remain? That's it's a great question. So the, the money that's out there are the existing private equity companies that have dry powder. So there are a number of them. I think Quantum and NCAP are two big uh, brand name energy private equity firms that you know, finished fundraises in 2018, 19, and have significant dollars. So there's some private equity capital available. The companies have their own cash flows. That's the best spot, right? Your own money is the best money. And then I would say the investors that are willing to put new dollars to work today, generally, it's not going to be the institutional investor, right? The pensions, endowments, et cetera, are all burned by, you know, the amount of money they have in the space now that's trapped and hasn't generated good returns. So it's going to be large family offices, you know, high, ultra high net worth individuals, contrarian folks who say, I just want to make money. You know, I love the movie Bull Durham. One of the lines there is the baseball movie, hit them where they ain't. Where they ain't right now is the world's not willing to give money to the sector. And so the contrarian is saying, eh, there ought to be an opportunity. So what we're seeing is folks that are potentially interested in investing in projects that we're looking at are some insurance companies, but a lot of big family offices, multifamily offices that have a longer time period, you know, capital that has 10 plus year duration and a willingness to go against the grain. Now, sure. And what are you looking at then? You guys personally at Pickering Energy Partners, I know you've alluded to your PDP strategy and the Permian earlier on, but what's, what's your vision for the next 24 months and what are you hoping to achieve? What opportunities are out there to take advantage of right now and what are you, where are you hoping to be, particularly with regards to upstream in 24 months' time? Yeah. So we absolutely want to put some money to work in the next 24 months because we do see a recovery in the sector, recovering commodity prices, and there is going to be a continued level of distress in the space, which ought to mean assets are fairly cheap. 
what are we looking at? We're looking, the deals that we're finding most interesting are ones that have some component of PDP that we can buy using our lower cost capital PDP strategy. So we're fine getting a 10 or 12 or 14% return there. And, but, but associated with those assets are also acres that we can buy cheap and drill sometime in the future with our private equity dollars, our risk dollars. And so putting together a combination of low cost of capital and higher cost of capital to attack an opportunity, we think gives us a really good blended cost of capital and maybe a little bit lower than some of our peers. So we like these deals that have some component of producing cash flow to them, but also have some drilling upside. We do like the Permian Basin. We're looking at everywhere across the U.S. We're more more excited about domestic stuff than international stuff. We're more excited about upstream than we are oil field services. There's just too much capacity in the oil field service business. The midstream area has always been expensive. There's an oversupply of pipes and gathering systems there. And so we're looking, but expect that to still be too expensive. I mentioned that, that I think the renewable space is going to grow fast, but there's just too much money chasing it and single digit returns are not something we're interested in. So, you know, we're focused on domestic upstream. We're trying to be opportunistic. And I think there are going to be a number of fat pitches that come across the plate here to continue with the baseball analogy over the next 24 months. And I think folks that get some capital deployed, whether it's private or publics over the next 24 months are going to wind up with very good returns over the next 60 months, right? Next five years. Absolutely. And I think once we start as well to see that bid ask spread start to narrow as well and, and the big difference between the buyer and the seller's expectations start to narrow and, and some of these deals go through, I think it'll be interesting to see this come to the surface and, and some of these things that we're talking about come to fruition. Dan, before we wrap up, I just want one final question that I'd like to put to you. And again, it's focusing on your specific investment approach, but I guess you can talk more widely about the industry as a whole as well, given your, your background across both the buy side and, and the sell side. And do you guys look to be a majority investor and take on most of the risk yourselves, or do you look to co-invest and with, with other financial partners? I mean, if we look right now, especially looking at the lending space, the majority of the commercial bank have left the space and they're not going to be coming back and regulation prohibits them from even looking at some of these deals that, that are being brought to the table. As a result, we're, we're seeing other more distressed debt funds emerge or that were set up after the previous downturn now start to come to the fore and there's far more of a, a gap in the market to be filled by them. So the, the question is, what are the innovative capital and financing solutions out there at the moment that are available to oil and gas companies? And do investors like yourself see opportunity to, to partner with these guys as well and, and make that work on your side? Yeah. So the first part of your question, we do a lot of co-investing, putting money to work alongside other, other sponsors, putting money to work alongside you know, family office investors, et cetera. We tend to be co-invest and not majority, although that's morphing a little bit because as the number of players in the space has dropped, the number of folks you can partner with has come down. And so you may need to be in control to really drive your destiny here going forward. So we're doing a little bit of both. We are seeing more debt investors. I think the debt investors are turning into equity investors reluctantly through these restructuring processes. 
we're not super excited about one of the things that's tough about these restructurings is that the credit guys are bringing these companies out, in our opinion, with probably a little bit more debt than they should have. And so, you know, you want to set a business up. If you're going to restructure it, I mean, do the job. And that, to me, tends to mean you need new equity capital. You need capital availability to run this dang business. And so I'm nervous that if we have $40 oil for two or three years, some of these companies that are restructured will have to restructure again. So we're not as interested in, in the debt side of the equation from a restructuring perspective. There's no doubt that, that the money that's available, that I mentioned before, you know, these mega family offices, et cetera, they're willing to, to do unique structures. And I think you have to be flexible. We're a number of the things that we're looking at on the upstream side, you know, we'll give a little bit of a commodity price kicker to the seller to get them across the hump, for instance. We might try to overcapitalize and give them more money than they need simply because we want to make sure the balance sheet is okay. So I think you've got to be very flexible and creative. And so there is no cookie cutter deal in 2021, 2022. I think everything is going to be company specific. And I still think that the equity side is where to play, which means you probably have to be a little bit more focused on control versus the you know more passive credit side of the equation. No, thanks, Dan. That's interesting insights there. And I mean, there's so much that I could draw on. I'm sure we could sure we could speak for hours to come about many of these issues, but time's coming to a close. So I'll hand the floor to you. It's been great speaking with you. I really appreciate you you sharing your views on the industry, your approach towards the industry. And it's been really insightful. It sounds like there are a lot of exciting opportunities ahead. As you say, you just need to focus on the specific investment approach to make that specific deal, uh, take each of them on a case-by-case basis and, and make each specific deal work. But I think it sounds like there are lots of exciting opportunities that are starting to come to market and will continue to do so. So we'll be excited to keep an eye on your progress and see how these come through over the next six to 12 months. But no, to wrap it up, I'll hand it over to you for some closing comments, just to summarize what we've talked about, share your views on the next steps for the industry, and, and just to give a closing message to any of your industry peers listening sure. in. Thanks, Ben. I think, first of all, appreciate the opportunity to visit with you and, and your listeners. You know, how would, how would I finish? I'd finish from the perspective that when you've been through the fire, like the sector has been for the last five or six years, and investors have gotten you know, singed in that fire for sure, the propensity is to extrapolate the current into the future. And, and that's even more so in energy right now where you say things have been bad and oh my gosh, this energy transition is on us. Those are true statements, but the energy transition is gonna be very long. I think all you've got to believe to make great money in the energy space over the next five years is that there will be a recovery and there will be one. We're gonna need a lot of barrels for a long period of time. And the industry is dramatically under investing right now both from a capital perspective and just a production perspective. So I look at that and say, there is a better day coming. You don't want to get too negative here. I'm not promising things get better quickly, but value in this industry when things are trading at three and four times cash flow on depressed commodity prices, yeah, that's pretty dang interesting. So I just encourage people to keep an eye on this sector because things are going to improve. And finishing on Pickering Energy Partners, we're excited to be investors in this space. Like I said, we're dipping our toe in the energy transition, but we're our, the majority of our investments are going to be in, in oil and gas. And we're excited to partner with folks that are interested in deploying capital. 
And so if your listeners want to put money to work in this space, they should call us and you're going to be in this business for a long time. So don't give up is the final message from me. And thanks so much for the opportunity. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to speak with Dan about any of the points that he has raised during today's episode, or if you would be interested in exploring potential partnership opportunities with Pickering Energy Partners, then please email me at benjamin.west at energycouncil.com. The Energy Council represents the most senior and influential network of energy executives and investors in the world. Throughout the year, we leverage our relationships and industry knowledge to facilitate introductions on behalf of our clients to help them to place capital, buy and sell deals, and form new partnerships. If you are interested in learning more about the ways we can help your team by connecting with executives like Dan, then please email me directly or visit our website at www.energycouncil.com. Also, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to share these episodes with anyone in your network who you think would enjoy them. Thanks, and see you next time. Thank you.